Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. As always, we'll bring you another early Ashes preview after Ollie Robinson suggested that England could give Australia a good hiding in the five match series this summer. And we also hear exclusively from Johnny Bairstow and Chris Wokes. We'll get the very latest from the inaugural draft of the Major League Cricket in America, as both Aaron Finch and Marcus Stoinis are amongst uh, the big names to sign up. We'll also review all the week's other action. South African captain Temba Bavuma making it three centuries in as many months. Uh, New Zealand captain Tim Southey winning his first Test Series uh, as New Zealand captain. And India uh, thrashed with 39 overs to spare in the second ODI by Australia. And we'll end the show with some of the week's other stories as former South African captain Dane Fanikirk retires from international cricket at the age of just 29 and Ireland announced a T20 series at home to India. So plenty to come over the next hour. As always, you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, homie, I picked um, Ollie Robinson as, as our lead story, uh, more because of um, not so much the content of what he said, but um, this idea that players shouldn't jinx anything by talking about, you know, let's not get the hype up too early and, do you know what? I, I just kept thinking, Ollie Robinson is having a quiet chat um, on on local radio. Uh, it, it's not like he's climbed onto the you know top of a 25-story building and started screaming, we're going to win the Ashes, we're going to thump the Aussies. It was just sort of like a passing comment. I suppose he should have known that it would get picked up and, and turned into a big story, but well, what did you think? I mean, were you, are you amongst those that, who thinks, oh, don't, don't jinx anything? No, I've just I played through a career. I played my career through a, a guy telling us he was going to beat us five 0 each time. Glenn McGrath. I just thought with Ollie Robinson having a Glenn McGrath moment, he didn't quite say a five 0 but he says he's going to give Australia a good hiding. Look, I don't mind it. I really don't. Part of us was thinking, "What are you saying, Ollie? Come on, pal, just hold it back in. Enjoy the good hiding once you've given them it." But if you say it, you've got to back it up and. Why shouldn't England back feel as though they can back it up? The other 10 wins from 12, everybody's questioned. You can't play that sort of cricket against X, Y, and Z. Ben Stokes, Brendan McCullum, Ollie Robinson, Jimmy Anderson have blown them all away. So why shouldn't Ollie Robinson feel as though yeah, they can give Australia a good hiding? It's not something I would have said. It's something Glenn McGraw would have said, which, to be honest, on the other side of it, I was never really upset when Glenn says he was going to beat us 5-0. Largely to the fact that most of the time he did. But, you know, when it comes to it, look, I think Ollie Robinson, whether he's talking to local radio or talking to national radio, 
if he didn't, uh, well, he does already know because obviously after the back of his debut, he knows that every commenter, everything that he says, reactions that he does, will be picked up nationally and now, because I think the Aussies have no laugh at it, internationally. So now good on you, Ollie, have for having the confidence. Um, first of all, you've got to get in the team, which is, I'm sure, Stuart Broad and a few or one or two others are trying to push you out of the team and that's how much competition there is for places and I mean this at all the best will in the world because I think Ollie Robinson will be in the team but then you've got to go and back it up some so yeah if you do back it up I'll be the first one to raise a glass and say well done for saying what you said and then going back it up and you know, that's that's the, the the world we live in now no matter what you say you're going to get bite-sized headlines it's going to be it's going to be huge international news if you say something which is yeah a little bit left field and telling the Aussies they're going to get a, a good hiding. Definitely left field and manners. I just think, I've just got this image of him sitting there in his lounge having a chat to Radio Sussex with a cup of coffee in his hand and he's asked, do you think you can win the Ashes? And he says, well, yeah, I reckon we might even give him a good hiding. You know, and he just hasn't sort of paid any attention to what he's saying. So, yeah, I, I think good on him. Anyway, Johnny Bairstow is not likely to be caught off guards. Uh, he was having a chat to our very own Sam Ellard talking about about his comeback trail and uh, how progress is coming uh, towards being fit and available for selection. It's going well. The rehab's going really good. Uh, I'm really happy with uh, how everything's going. Don't have a time frame um, because if you set a time frame on things, yeah. it's, it's a tricky one. But, uh, no, I, everything's tracking the right direction and... Look, it won't be too far off. Ten test wins and 12 on a Brendan McCullum playing some of the most... I was in New Zealand, I mean, it was unbelievable. Playing some of the most ridiculous cricket we've seen. I know you've been part of, well, a lot of it, but what's it been like to be a part of it and then watching it over the winter? Amazing. It's exactly <laughs> what you want to be a part of. Uh, and it's really special to be a part of it. Um, and look, I can't wait for the summer ahead. I think it's going to be a really um, exciting summer for, for all of the guys involved in it, but also all the spectators that are watching it. And that's exactly what we're trying to set out as a group to do. Um, is change how people view Test cricket because people were saying a few years back it was dying, it's, it's not entertaining, it's this, that and the other. I really really do feel that we're rewriting the script. And you mentioned that word there, the ashes. I know you want to take it day yeah. by day, but I spoke to people that are twice my age. They say to me, I've never looked forward more to an Ashes series like this summer. It's going to be special, isn't it? The Aussies over here with us in such good form. Look, I, I remember watching the 2005 Ashes and being inspired by that. Um, and what a special group of people uh, played in that. And you look at some special moments in it and you look back on it now and you want to be a part of those special moments. And I really do believe that this summer is going to be uh, something to behold, uh, something to, uh, to hopefully tell the grandkids about. And, uh, yeah, it'll be amazing to be a part of. Johnny Bairstow having a chat to Sam Ellard. Um, does it make you feel old, Harmy? Lots of things make uh, you feel old, I suppose, these days. But the, the idea of Johnny Bairstow being inspired as a, as a, a teenager by watching you back in 2005. Yeah, not just that. I just had a week at Centre Park to my grandkids. That felt made me feel old, man. I was chasing the kids around, the, uh, not chasing my kids, chasing me grandkids around you know, the parks and swimming pools and everything that goes with Centre Parks. And when somebody mentions 2005, it years prick up because the world, it's probably the, the most, I think, probably the most famous series of cricket in, in the recent past. When somebody says I was a little boy and it made me inspired and he's now one of the veterans of the England cricket team, it does make me feel just that little bit older, I must admit. But England need Johnny Best up. Simple as that. I know he's tongue-in-cheek and he's not put the time scale on it. Talking to Sam at Cheltenham and 
it looks as though Johnny's enjoyed his time away from the game. And I mean that with, with the respect of he's getting, I think he's getting some good quality time for himself, whether it's been you know, working, because rehab can be hard. Rehab can be hard. We listened to Joffre Archer talking about his rehab, and he said, he, he basically said he's on a holder camp for 18 months. So, and he's come back and he's nailed it since he's come back. We are forget England's bad run of disappointments in Bangladesh. You know, Joffre Archer came back strong as he's come back very, very strong. Body looks strong. Physically, he looks as good as he was. Pace wise in Bangladesh was right up there. So, great signs from an England point of view from that. And hopefully, Johnny's had the same. He's had the same uh, refreshed outlook of going away, watching the racing, you know, going away and spending some time in a family, going on holder, just enjoying some quality him time rather than. Sometimes when you're on rehab, you get in the gym, it's dark, it's dingy, it's the middle of winter, it gets you down and then you resent coming back and playing cricket. So from that point of view, it sounds and looks as though Johnny's enjoying himself since he's been away. Okay, I, look, I know that Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes have ripped up the rule book, and I was going to say, and rewritten a new one, but I'm not sure they have. I think they just they make up the rules as and when they, they need them. But... um. So um, McCullum also said that, of course, Johnny Bairstow comes back into the test team as soon as he's fit. But I just want to ask you about game time and hours in your legs, even for a, a batsman. He's not going to be keeping. But how many games does he need to play for Yorkshire? Does he Does he need to? Surely, after this long away from the game, he is going to need to play for Yorkshire before he comes back, surely. Yeah, he's going to need to hit balls. And it's where the, the fine balance of... If it's, whether it's a white one or it's a red one, and that's that's huge for me. Um, I think he might need more red ball cricket than just Ireland. I really do. I think that could be the important key um, that he needs more than because we know early season you, you could get one with your name on it very comfortably of a seventy mile an hour bowler in May, April and May in England, and get one that that nicks you off. So the fine balance between the red ball and the white ball. It's a hard one because you could say, right, he needs miles in his legs. Goes and plays at two first-class games before that Ireland Test match. You could have one that, that nips away, flips the glove that nobody in English tricky would nick other than a top-quality player like Johnny Bairstow. And he sits with his, yeah, his butt up his backside for, for four days and he doesn't get a chance to have another hit. And you're thinking he could be out in yeah, where it's sunshine and hitting white balls like you'd not believe and just grooving his technique that way. So there's a fine balance. I actually think Johnny needs to hit balls. I think he needs to be in the middle. I think technically we've seen it has issues with Johnny with the ball coming back. And I think a lot of, I think, where Johnny fits into this tide is probably going to be where his technique is going to be challenged the most. Because I actually think he might have to come in and open the baton. So his technique is going to have to be spot on when he comes in because of he's going to have to face the new ball. He's going to have to go in, possibly go in first. And have to face, you know, not only with a moving ball off off the pitch. If there's any movement in that first hour or first whatever, if if you do bat first or laterally with the ball swinging, but it, because it's brand new, so I actually think he probably needs a bit more time than just hitting, you know, the the, the T Twenty franchise stuff that is going to be played because he normally comes in in the middle order. I don't think he fits in the middle order anymore anymore because I don't think. England can fit him in in that middle order and that sense of it because of you know, the undoubted talent that Johnny's got. His leg's not going to let him keep wicket. So the only the only role probably is going in first. And I think because of that, I think he needs to play some cricket because he, he needs his technique perfect. 
to go in because already be under a little bit of pressure because people will be asking, well, you know, why are we play, why are we picking him as an opening batsman? Why are we bringing him back as the opening batsman? The reason why is because Harry Brook has batted unbelievably in red ball cricket in the last six months, and Ben Stokes is the captain. Joe Reed's the best player, so there's your four, five, six. And if Johnny's leg can't make him keep wicket, the only place he goes in is number one or number two. Uh, you know what really interests me there is that uh, if he replaces Zach Crawley, which presumably he will, then you know he's replacing a man for whom Brenda McCullum said he wasn't looking for consistency. He was mm-hmm. happy to take a match-winning contribution sort of every every three or four innings. I know that Johnny wouldn't necessarily be consoled with the idea that he, that he wouldn't have to be consistent. But um, in in many ways, um, you know, he's he's probably better at fulfilling that role than Zach. Yeah, you're right. He probably is better. But I think the one thing about Johnny is he needs a little bit of he needs a bit of loving. He needs to make sure he's he's felt important. He is the number one man, and I think Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes will undoubtedly do that. But he needs a bit of form behind him because we've seen if Johnny gets on a roll. There's not many more. There's not many more disruptive batsmen in world cricket than Johnny Besto, Whether he's going in at first or he's going in at number five in that in the Test match arena, he needs to feel comfortable. I think in himself, he needs to feel comfortable in the environment that he's trying to fulfil. And I think because of that, I think he probably needs to hit hit more balls than he probably would do if he was batting in the middle order. Now going in first, I think there was a lot of spin on what Brendan McCullum said in the middle of last summer about Zach. And I think largely down to the fact that we didn't have anybody else. We really didn't have anybody else. Zach Crowley didn't have any real competition for the role that Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes wanted to fulfil at the top of the order. Now is an option. And the option is Ben Dockett, and obviously the one that we've got to find a player for, who does it in one uh, one day cricket, does it in a longer format of the of the white ball game, and that's Johnny Bairstow. So for me, yes, Along the same lines of he doesn't have to be consistent, just got to get off to a good good start, knock the bowlers off their end, give us some momentum, put the put the new ball back in the court of of the opposition and get them, you know, moving their slips around and get making sure that they're not just digging a trench in around that off stump and really putting pressure on and and scoreboard and you know visual pressure on the batsman to come in. We want somebody to come in and, and get England off to a good start. I think Johnny's done that in in white ball, the longer in 50 over white ball cricket. I don't see any reason why he can't do that in test match cricket because of this is the role that England want. You know, it wasn't like 12 months ago or two years ago where it was different. It was Alex Lees, it was Dom Sibley, it was um, Rory Burns. I think England now see this progressive cricket played and that we go hard from ball one. And because of that, then I think that's where Johnny might just just might have found a, a role for the for the not just for the foreseeable future, but if he nails it again in the Ashes, then the, uh, it, it, this could be Johnny's role for the remainder of his days because he's he's not a young man anymore. Okay, let's hear quickly from Chris Wokes, who was talking with our man Will McPherson on England's recent tour of uh, Bangladesh. Uh, he also talking about his prospects of uh, breaking into the Ashes team. You know, Ashes series is what you want to be a part of. Obviously, been lucky to play in a, in a few. Um, it would be nice to obviously be a part of that. Obviously, the, that team are, are playing fantastically well at the minute. 
you know, it's hard to break into. But yeah, you're right. Extremely exciting summer ahead for, for English cricket with the World Cup at the end of it as well. So um, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can you know play some part. But uh, yeah, exciting summer for English fans. You're playing in the county championship rather than the IPL at the start of the season. That's presumably your big plan to kind of push for that place. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a hard team to break into, um, but at the same time, I've obviously given myself the opportunity to, to try and play some Red Bull cricket, having not played some for a while. It'd be nice to, to play a bit of county cricket and hopefully put my hand up and put myself in the mix. As I said, you know that they're going extremely well and it is a tough team to break into, but I feel I have a good record in England, so you know I'm giving myself the best opportunity to do that. First test of the Ashes at Edgbaston, your home ground. A couple of games at Lords. That must be seriously, you know, seriously appetising thing to be involved in. Yeah, it is appetising definitely. And you know, obviously the way the England side have been playing over the winter and obviously last summer, it's you know, it's fantastic to see. It's great to see the guys playing well, playing the brand that they are uh, under Stokesy and and Baz. So. Um, yeah, hopefully that can continue. Obviously, to take that into an Ashes series and and hopefully perform well in an Ashes series is, you know, as an England cricketer, what's what it's all about. So, yeah, hopefully, come that first test at, at Edgebaston, you know, the guys are in good place and and ready to take that Ashes full on. You were one of bowl- many bowlers who were injured last summer, but now in the white ball and red ball setups, it seems like everyone's kind of bubbling nicely. Everyone's fit. Joffre's here. Uh, Ollie Stone, Mark Wood, all these guys are fit again. That must be really exciting to be to be one of those guys, but it also makes it hard, doesn't it, to get into the team? Yeah, it does. But, I mean, obviously, creates a great competition, I suppose, for places, which is where you want to be as a side. Um, I'm sure Stokes will be, you know, hoping that he's got all those guys to to hopefully call upon. Um, you know, a Test series against Australia is hard work. There is obviously five Test matches in the Ashes series, and you know, I'm sure they'll be be looking for for more than than just four four bowlers so um yeah you've got to make sure you're ready and if called upon you'll hopefully be chomping a bit to 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 get part of that squad and and hopefully perform well um but yeah it's great to have such a a huge i suppose battery of fast bowlers that can come in and and obviously perform well at that level that was chris wakes talking to will mcpherson on the recent tour of bangladesh i think he mentioned three or four times there how difficult it will be to break into the ashes team um which i think says even more about his decision to not enter the IPL auction and to play county cricket um, just to give himself a chance. I mean, if he was a, a red-hot favourite to start the first test at home at Edgebaston, then fine, you could understand it. But he knows that he's he's in a group of eight and he might not even get an Ashes test match. Well, I, I suppose he might, he might get one or two. They might want to play him at Edgebaston, but... Just not to enter the IPL auction, I think, is uh, admirable. Yeah, I get that, and I, I really do. There's there's a few things on there. I don't put, I'm not one of the ones that thinks he didn't enter it because he was worried that he wasn't going to get selected. I think he would have come out of the IPL auction from a positive note and aware that he would have been part of this year's IPL. I've got no doubt about that because I think in India, in the in the in the IPL, he's done very very well, and I think franchises do like his all-round qualities from an England point of view it's great I think it's fantastic that he's given himself the best chance that England need him yeah that's another tick in the box for you know Mr Nice Guy he is he's just the nicest man in cricket he's Chris Wokes and I think England will use him I think England will use him I think England got a lot of bowlers who don't bat if if we have swinging conditions if we have steaming conditions i.e. If we have a lot of weather around throughout the summer, then he might be a more of a viable option than, than one or two others. We've also got a factor in that Joffrey Archer might not come back for the first test match. 
might not be ready for the first test match. Bear in mind, he's with franchises. And the franchise, the IPL franchises that get to the final, come back, or oh, the finals four days before the, the Ireland test match. That means they're out of the Ireland test match. They can't play in the Ireland test match, I don't think, if they play in the IPL final. Now, if that's the case, then Archer will not have played a red ball game for what, best part of two and a bit years. The England have got to find a way of making sure that he is fit to play five days cricket or potentially go five days cricket. And I think the other hand grenade you can throw into that is Mark Wood. Does Mark Wood go to IPL? And if he goes to the IPL and doesn't play and his team gets to the latter parts of it and he comes, he doesn't come back for the Island game or close to the Island game, and all of a sudden, Chris Wokes goes from number eight to number four to number six, possibly number five, when you look at the the other standings of, of who becomes available. So I think Chris Wokes has done an admiral thing. He's he said, I, I'm going to be ready for the Ashes when they come around. And it's up to the selection panel to pick him. Yeah, Anderson, Broad, Robinson are ahead of him in that role. Then you've got probably Wokes as number four in that role. Then you subsidise that with your two fast men in Anderson. I mean, in and Archer and Wood, and you've got a bowling attack. For me, that could take on any conditions in England. Six weeks for five Test matches, and I think Chris Wokes is he's got a chance of playing at least in one, possibly two games. Because if England then start to get blown away, you know, come out and play champion cricket, twenty for two, like they were in New Zealand, and all of a sudden. Cummins, Stark, Hills of Wood. These are good bowlers. These are top quality bowlers in English conditions. If England's tail starts getting blown away, then England might look at that option of Chris Wokes, who has got international hundreds at number eight. The bowling qualities that he, he has as well in England could be a, might just be a, a, a better all-round package than somebody else. Okay, and uh, a different um, England against Australia. England's women will play against Australia in front of a record crowd at Edgbaston, a record crowd in England, that is, for the first T20 in July with almost 15,500 tickets already sold, more than uh, three and a half months to go before that game. So that's fantastic. The women's game is just growing exponentially and it's brilliant to see. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Right, we're talking MLC, Major League Cricket, um, a couple of months ago, Harmy and I uh, had a chat to uh, Liam Plunkett, who's uh, actively involved in developing the game in America, and he's also now been signed. He wasn't sure that he would take part in uh, the inaugural season, but uh, he is. He was signed in the auction, and there are some other really big names as well involved. Former Australian captain Aaron Finch, Marcus Stoinis, Mitchell Marsh are, are also amongst the names, as are South Africans Quinton de Kock and fast bowler Anrich Norkia. Now, Harmi, just before you um, have a chat to Liam, many people said that we were being a little bit uh, dramatic um, and and um, so by suggesting that the IPL was uh, on on course to take over world cricket. Well, four of the six franchises in the uh, American League are owned by IPL teams. Kolkata Knight Riders, um, they've got the LA Knight Riders, Chennai Super Kings are linked with the Texas franchise. MI New York, Mumbai Indians, New York. Uh, the Delhi Capitals the, uh, involved with the Seattle Orcas. Um, and even Washington Freedom and the San Francisco Unicorns 
um, are not directly linked with IPL teams, but uh, they are bankrolled by um, Indian finance houses and uh, Indian entrepreneurs. So, that, And that means, of course, that uh, now with the, the Caribbean Premier League, um, the SA20, the UAE League, um, now the US League, we said a year ago, or maybe even 18 months ago, that the IPL was on course to take over world cricket and people scoffed. It's true. It's true. It is true, and I can only see the the Mumbai spirit, the other Calcutta, or the Rajasthan. Was it the Rajasthan Invincibles? I can see the hundred being another section of uh, of the Indian portfolio, and that's the way it's going. But from a the Americans' point of view, I think it's great. I really do. I think it's competition in in, in obviously the northern, northern hemisphere because obviously their cricket, their franchise leagues, can go similar time to to English cricket, which will be a concern, slight concern for English clubs, English counties, because a lot of their players might go over and play in that. But we it was it was said about what, ten, twelve years ago, will will cricket get into the Olympics? And if cricket got into the Olympics, that means the the Americans might get involved, Chinese might get involved, and the Americans and then the Russians might get involved because that's what Olympic sports are. The other medals, the gold, these countries go for the medals, and they chuck fortunes at their medal chances. Now, cricket's not a medal chance because it's a one medal as opposed to yeah you know, other disciplines. I know that I fully understand that, but we all said this was this was the, the wasn't it? It was the icing on top of the cake. If the Americans get involved in cricket and they go two feet in. We've got a chance of growing, growing this game like you'd not believe, and I think we're we're close to our know, liftoff. And it was at it was at NASA, wasn't it? It was at NASA, the the, the, the draft at NASA. We're getting close to liftoff, and if this does take off, manners, this could be huge for the global game. Right, time now for your chat to uh, your old mate Liam Plunkett. Right, Liam, thanks for joining us on the Create Collective. I think the biggest question, the burning question from from all the listeners in in the UK, is was the draft what you expected better than you expected in um, at the Space Centre in NASA? Yeah, well, behind the scenes, the the guys have been working really hard. Obviously, being a part of the stuff and uh, being a player as well, it was sort of hidden from us. The guys, the logistics side, were, were just going about the business. And when we turned up, yeah, it was they did a really great job. I think there's not many events, cricket uh, drafts, or that'll get put on in such a venue. It was, uh, yeah, really good spectacle, mate. Obviously, turning up there to something I've never seen before. You see it as a kid. I probably wouldn't go out my way to see it, mate. That's not my vibe, I don't think. But uh, it was it definitely, it was it was a great thing to be a part of. And uh, as I said, to have all these big franchises involved in Australian franchises, IPL guys, it made it real for a lot of us who've been here for a year and a half. Some of the guys have been here for two to three years. And all of a sudden, it's right in front of you. And uh, you can see the big names that are attaching themselves to the, the franchise. So it was, it was only a, it was a great night. So I, I take my hat off to the guys who were uh, organised that this year. I must admit, I've been twice. I think twice, possibly three times to Kennedy. I loved it, every minute of it. It's just a big building in the middle of nowhere. But it's just for me, it was a it's a fascinating place to go and to visit. And speaking of that, the Americans are clued up on cricket. Uh, how's the draft been taken in in America from the, the local side of it? Yeah, it's obviously in pockets. I mean, if you're looking for cricket, if you're part of the cricket fraternity in America, it's obviously amazing. The guys have been waiting for something like this. It's been tried before and it's failed, but we're down the line so far now that 
I think people are very, very excited. You have all the little cricket academies based around America who've been following. I was fortunate to do like uh, a chat with Good Morning America that's going to come out end of May. So hopefully that gets a bit of traction or a bit of a segment, a 30-minute segment on cricket. That's going to be exciting. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we can keep building it from now. That was the start, the draft, and hopefully it gets momentum now up until July 13th when the, hopefully the first ball is bowled and the Americans who were born here get to see cricket for the first time and played by some serious players. Yeah, and cricket, the, the USA cricket wanted to be a, an established full nation by, I think they said 2023, 2024. Do you think the IPL franchises getting involved has, has helped that, has enhanced that chance of you know, Cricket USA being a, a fully-fledged nation by the end of either this year or possibly next year? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when big teams and big nations are getting involved, uh, obviously a lot of money involved now as well, it's just going to have more eyes on. So as soon as you attach yourself to IPL, you know that everyone in India who loves cricket, who follow a Mumbai Mumbai team or a Delhi team, they're going to be watching. So it's obviously great for cricket in USA. And I think it all it can do is help. I mean, it's just going to keep pushing the game forward in USA. And as you said, when this tournament comes and the cricket is, is a good product, uh, people will say it's not like a gimmick where other teams, other countries have tried to be void. It's not a gimmick. It's going to be here to stay. We're going to keep building year by year. And so yeah, it's definitely going to help that. And it says a lot about the sort of MLC that you've got players like Quinn de Kock, Anrik Nokia, Mitch Marsh, Hasaranga, Stoinis, yourself. They're not playing in the Blast. They're playing in the MLC, which is roughly at a similar time. The Blast, which is obviously the English version of the T20. What does that say for you know the first year and you know, pardon the pun from a space point of view, you know, when you when you're trying to have the lift off of, of a of a new tournament? I've been thinking of things to say like that, mate. You beat me to the punch. Just snuck in there like that. <laughs> uh, it's great, but also it's very, very appealing. If you think it's, I'm in a, it's a difficult spot because being from England and I love county cricket, I love the blast and I want to see that be successful as possible. I guess I can see from the international players' point of view, it's something brand new and as IPL teams are involved and it is America, it's sports here is massive. So maybe they're trying to get in early to create some good partnerships with the franchises because you just don't know where that's going to go. It leads to different stuff for the individuals that signed in, more sponsorships, more partnerships, and it can build their profile also. But I think everyone's hoping in the background that it does take off because I think if cricket takes off in America, it's going to help a lot of uh, countries, a lot of players develop and probably earn more money. So. And you, you're going to San Francisco, the Unicorns, captained by Aaron Finch, play alongside Corey Anderson, Stoinis, not too bad, not too bad quartet of uh, of, of overseas. Um, how excited are you with the way the franchise systems work? Because it's not all about IPL. You've got different different types of franchises, which that could benefit as well. Yeah, I mean, speaking, we had a bit of a American phrase, but it's a combine what they named it. But we had the uh, games, we had the uh, squads put into four teams playing against each other, and the scouts were there. I got chatting to a lot of the scouts as a part of my role. And I mean, speaking to them, I would have been excited to join any franchise. But I think the Australians, it sort of stuck out to me that they were happy to develop. They wanted to develop uh, the players coming through as well. Mm-hmm. So that means like the guys who want to go across to Australia, maybe and learn from the guys there, practice, maybe play some club cricket where they've got a, a gap in uh, in the calendar. So that that's very exciting. And as I said, to the guys who are local get to play and train with all these guys who are still playing international cricketers uh, mm. to play cricket. So that's only going to benefit them. But yeah, I just love the development side and how they're going to build up that area. 
So obviously with the the unicorns being in San Fran, I think you look at the minor league teams underneath that. How can we build a network? How can we get the development better? So the guys who are leading up to Major League Cricket have been in a good system already. You're not just going to go from playing club cricket minor league. You're already involved with the franchise. However that looks like, whatever the Victorian guys want to do, that's obviously uh, going to happen down the line. And that's important, isn't it? To have building blocks for Cricket USA rather than just you know, the IPL franchise is coming in, throwing some money at it. The, uh, the Australian franchise is coming in, throwing some money at it. It's about a legacy of giving what potentially could be. I know it's all about people are looking at making money and you know having the biggest tour and the best tournaments possible. But it only works really if you get the local players up to the standard of to play alongside the overseas players. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the, the deals uh, was doing with the franchise and Major League Cricket, but I think... In the background, I think the the franchise will have to start building something in that in their home in their home. <clears throat> whether that's a high performance center, indoor cricket facility, outdoor center with a ground. I think that's all going to be part of the deals that's going forward. So that's only going to improve the game here. You're going to have high performance <clears throat> centers, a bit like a Loughborough for each sort of uh, team, where then you have guys who are on full time contracts down the line, maybe, where they have a place to go where they've got good coaches who can look after them, give them good structure, and and obviously develop their game. So when they're in that system early, it's a bit like being involved with the England setup where when you play in the Lions or the youth cricket, you're doing sort of the same stuff. So when you play for England, you're already used to that system. And I think if we can get there at some point, that's going to be an absolute win-win. And there's an elephant in the room where obviously we're talking that's English cricket, the EV. They're blocking the central contracted players from coming over. They're not sure what they're going to do with other players to let the sign an NLC. I know the PCR having their C on it. Is that a backhanded compliment towards the MLC that you know the ECB are worried that there's a tournament at the same time which could take a lot of their players away? I guess so. I mean, it is for me because I have had uh, talk with some of the guys and English cricket is the best in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. the white ball stuff, we are the best in the world and it's obviously I'm happy that I can say that. So it's very important that we can't have the best players, but I do understand from both sides. I, I wish that we could have our guys across, but I also understand that you have cricket in England that needs to be played and you don't want to also dilute that that's where you're born and bred but i mean hopefully we can something will work out in the future where we can get these guys across because we want the best players involved and also i want to see some of my mates who are still playing cricket and get the opportunity to be involved in cricket over here like why not as i said it's probably one of the biggest it is probably the biggest country in the world for sports so and you know one of the, the county executives today has told the times that the mlc potentially is could be in a few years' time, the second biggest T20 franchise tournament behind the IPL. You know, that's a that's a huge statement. But if if it has got the legs, and you mentioned about the, the size of the country and you know, the sport madness about what is America, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's NBA, NFL, you know, the hockey and everything that goes with it, the ceiling level could be you know really high for this tournament. Yeah, it could, mate. As I said, if it's if it keeps building like it like it is, this first year goes really well. Hopefully the Wickets play amazingly well and we get some high-scoring games. I think I said to you last time I spoke to you, I'm coming towards the back end of my career, but it'd be great for the ball to go to the stand. So it's only going to add value to the bowlers, but it's going to add value to the game and the guys who are going to come in. But yeah, I mean, that's obviously a nice compliment if, if people are looking at it and think that the game's going to grow massively here and this could be one of the biggest franchise comps in the world. That That's great for us. I'd be surprised. Like sometimes things start very slowly, and I know infrastructure needs to get put in place. But if you get the right people involved here and the eyes that can be on it from 
the American side as well as the people in India and elsewhere that will watch it. I think it can go rapidly. It could move very quickly. And I think it all gears, it's all been talked about for a number of years, even before we, we even play cricket, me and you, Liam, is cricket in the Olympics. It's always been the one that, and it's the big, it's the big fish. Can you get it into Olympics? Because it's huge. You see with the Americans getting on board that it's getting closer to it being an Olympic sport, possibly 2028, possibly 32 after that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it, it makes sense if you're the Olympic committee and you're thinking about putting cricket into the Olympics. Imagine how many more viewers you're going to get, especially from the big nations like India and Pakistan and elsewhere who love cricket. Overnight, you've got millions and millions of viewers, but I'd love to see it. There's no reason why T20 or even the T10 couldn't work in that format. I'm sure it's going to be like a T20, but it makes sense. If not, hopefully we get it in America. And Obviously, there's going to be some stadiums built by then. There's going to be plenty of facilities to uh, locate them games. So, yeah, fingers crossed. I think it'd be great for everyone to have it in the in the Olympics, no matter where it is, but hopefully it's going to be in the US. The stars have been, have been I've mentioned the likes of Finch and Yastonis, two massive names that are playing, have played sort of IPL cricket along with Asuranga, Mitch Marsh, Nokia, already in, Quentin Decock, yourself. But who are the other names? Who are, who is viewers in England going to be potentially watching this year, next year, and possibly the year after? from the local side and names that we could, what could be household names in franchise tournaments around the world in, say, the next three to five years? I think you'll see that because it's hard for me because the guys are a good standard for a lot of first-class cricket, uh, but it's I've not really seen them being tested against these guys, so that's the exciting part. The guys who've been here, been playing minor league cricket, all of a sudden they're going to get put in the deep end. That's a sink or swim. You can have guys who just all of a sudden come, come out of nowhere. A guy could have been living in Brooklyn in a studio flat, nothing against that, but all of a sudden he's in, facing someone more than 95 clicks around the corner, he stands up and scores runs. And, and I think it's actually an amazing platform for someone to do that. It's a great story for someone who's been living like out of blind from cricket, really, just playing club cricket in the middle of New York, and all of a sudden he's on the lights, camera, action, scoring a quick 50 against an amazing bowling attack. But yeah, I mean, from all over the... There's different pockets from around at USA. In terms of me on the East Coast, you have... You have guys like you just mentioned. There's a guy called Yadram who lives in uh, the middle of, uh, I think, Brooklyn, who, who got a rookie contract. I think it's an under 23. So guys like that are going to stand up. So it's it's exciting as long as this first class names uh, Andreas House, who played in the T10 in South Africa, good player, uh, tries to sort of, I don't know, he does sort of mimic Joss, but you can see he, he looks a bit like Joss Butler. Uh, you have guys like Albert Pina, who played a lot of first class cricket, averaging 40 first class cricket there across here. So these guys are going to stand up, and then there's plenty of youth coming through. It excites me more for the guys in in the youth who we can get in the in the system now uh, and get amongst these professionals from the cross and learn from them by just chatting to them as well as netting with them and playing with them. That excites me more to see where they go in five to ten years, as you just mentioned. That'll be the household names, and let's see who that is. So, and the whole thing, God, the, the main hub is going to be in in Dallas, but for this year, anywhere, is it a slight concern? It's ten and a half. Hours behind India from a, an eyes point of view on who's going to watch it, or is it as simple that if it's cricket, India will watch it no matter what time of day it's on? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I think that's obviously going to come out down the line. I'm not sure what the time of the games is going to be, but I think it's going to be accessible to, to, to Indian viewers, I'm sure. I'm sure that's, that'd be a part of an agreement, which is above my paycheck. I'm not sure what's going on above there. So uh, I'm sure we're going to uh, yeah, work so a lot of people can get eyes on. Uh, as you as you see with uh, some of the leagues, with not being any crowds in, 
they still had amazing viewing numbers. So hopefully we can get both. It's such an exciting thing with a new stadium in, in Dallas. Uh, it's starting to come together and obviously in a few months' time it'll look completely different to what it is now. And I think you're going to get a lot of guys who are from America coming to see what this is all about. Hopefully a pickleball is very successful. Hopefully cricket can be more successful than pickleball. So we'll see. <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I see. I've seen a, a, a few, quite a few pictures of it. But Charlie, his son, came to me, we sent a package in a week, and he went, "Dad, have you seen this stadium in Dallas? It's going to look amazing." And yeah, eyes like that. Charlie's fifteen year old. I'm sure little Snapchat things that are going around, and that's what America is, is showing. The, the stadium does look absolutely amazing. I, I can't wait to see it happen. And one thing you mentioned not on your pay grade. Uh, something that is in your pay grade is you. How are you going to perform? Because you've mentioned you want to see sixes and fours. It you play cricket for for quite a while competitively. Uh, where's Liam yeah. Plunkett at, at this minute in time when it comes to letting the ball go? You know, I played minor league cricket last year. After being the sorry the last year, I was picking up niggles and I had uh, I, I like a, a crack. I was like my nerve was getting pinched, which was causing me to pick up uh, calf issues. Like I keep getting grade two and three. Uh, sorry, grade That's two and one. Liam, that's old age. Is no, I know you're. You know you're a fit lad, but it's old age. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. But I mean, last year I was playing minor league, and I didn't really get going. And I, and I seen a really good major league baseball SNC in physio. I went and played in the Masters in, in November, and it was actually nice to be out on decent stadiums in India. And I had a few compliments. And even the last week, the guys who've not seen me ball for a year or two said that I picked up pace. So that's always nice to hear. So I probably went from seventy-two to seventy-four now. So I'm in a good spot. No, actually, I feel fresh, mate. And it, it is my training before was with the good and the bad for me was always probably trained too much. So sometimes it helped and other times it picked up injuries. But I think now the back end of my career, I'm trained specifically for cricket. Mm. So I don't have to like go ahead and flog my body too much. I just get myself ready to ball four overs if needed. Maybe six to 12 balls in the major league and let the overseas do the job. So we'll see. And that was uh, Army chatting to uh, Liam Plunkett. And if you wondered why I didn't contribute, it's because that interview had to be pre recorded because of the time differences. And unfortunately, I wasn't available. But um, <laughs> uh, a fantastic value, as always, Liam Plunkett. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll take a look at the weekend's other international action as Shea Hope gets off to a winning start as West Indies captain, and India are thrashed with 39 overs to spare. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 
You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, don't forget you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the West Indies are in South Africa and they have one of the worst records in South Africa between two major teams in ODI cricket. Before this series began, with a washed-out game, by the way, in East London, um, they'd played 21 games in South Africa, 21 ODIs, and won just three of them. And and so it was um, unexpected, um, but welcome to see them win the second game, which was played in bright sunshine, by 48 runs in East London. South Africa had four debutants. It's really interesting that David Miller was be- described as being rested. Kahisa Rabada was definitely being rested, but David Miller was playing in the Pakistan Super League. And South Africa, Cricket South Africa, still find it rather awkward to admit that uh, they are in no position to stop their best players from playing in domestic leagues. Uh, you know, they still treat it rather like a sort of family relative who's been locked up. They're embarrassed. Unlike New Zealand cricket, for example, which is proud to let Michael Bracewell go and join the Royal Challengers Bangalore. You know, Royal Challengers Bangalore said, can we um, have him in a couple of weeks' time in Cricket New Zealand? are saying, no, 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 take him now. We will benefit. (laughs) (laughs) But on that, Keezy there, Rob Key came out and said, it's refreshing when a board is honest. You know, you've dealt with South African Cricket Board, you've dealt with the English Cricket Board, you've dealt with cricket changing for, for a number of years now. As a journalist, you sit there in front of a player and you ask him a question. You half have an idea of what, you know, what featherbed answer you're going to get back. Are you taking back as a cricket journalist or as a cricket fan if somebody does give you an honest answer? Rob Key was asked, "What about Alex Hills going to Bangladesh? No, he gets far too much money in Pakistan Super League, so I'm going to let him go play there. And then when I need him to play in big tournaments, if he's selected, I'll select him. Now." Is that the best way, or is it, like you said before, the same and a half hard way, and you, you basically get South African cricket fans half them saying, no, we don't believe you, so we'll give you no credibility, or the other half going, oh, we want our best players to play for South Africa and not realise the ramifications that's involved. I think Rob Key's having absolutely brilliant, and um, I've seen people start their careers in administration in similarly honest fashion, and I've seen them slowly develop this armor against their natural ability to communicate and uh, and they and they begin to speak in cliches and it's very distressing and disappointing when that does happen i think rob key in a couple of weeks ago said i think there's been too much emphasis placed on the importance of winning and it was a real shock to see that level of honesty but it's true it's absolutely true i mean we celebrated the the, that test match a couple of weeks ago in uh, at the Basin Reserve when New Zealand won an extraordinary game of cricket, and there can only be one winner, and I, I it's absolutely sensational and it's brilliant, you know. And, and I think Rob Key's kind of he's that special as a person that I think he will continue to be honest, but, and he, he hasn't come through a career of administration, has he? I mean, he put his no. name forward and he's come with That's fresh. That, yeah, I I just think it's it's. Absolutely brilliant, and I and I think that um, cricket in South Africa and cricket South Africa will benefit massively from following that lead and just just being honest and and saying 
uh, you know, they're talking about building, the, widening the base of international players, and that's why uh, we're we're making we're giving four players debuts. And no, 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 no. David Miller was being paid a fortune in the Pakistan Super League, so he wasn't available. Just say it. That's okay. It, it really is not a problem. And you know, cricket South Africa pretend still that. Um, so frustrating. They pretend that they've still got a seat at the at the head table, and they don't. And the rand continues to depreciate, and their players are exploring options all over the place. Major League Cricket, for example, you know, twenty five players left a couple of years ago to go to to America, and um, you know, South Africa need to survive on whatever they can survive on. And their naivety, by the way, was shown up in that uh, ODI. Uh, because Temba Bavoom was batting magnificently, got off to a screaming start with Quinton de Kock, and then um, uh, South Africa continued to try and play brave cricket. They needed a runner ball, chasing 336 to win. They got it down to less than a runner ball, and they all came out and played millionaire glory shots, and <laughs> ended up losing uh, in the end. But wonderful stuff from Temba Bavuma, Harmi. I mean, six months ago, we were... We were just in the depths of despair on his behalf when he was in all sorts of trouble at the T20 World Cup in Australia, couldn't score a run. He was being criticised left, right and centre. And, um, you know, he, he just he just flicked a switch and he said, you know what, I'm not going to be dragged down by all of this. I'm just going to enjoy my cricket. And now he's got two ODI hundreds, one against England to win the series and a test best. Uh, that's an interesting question for Manus. Because you've been a critic of of, of Bavuma, but obviously your admi- admiration for what he has to put up with in South Africa. How close was that switch being flicked towards turning his back and going right? I'll go and I'll, I'll go and play in these franchise tournaments. You want to? If you want to carry on, just kicking me. I've I've had a, I'm out of punches now. I can't throw him back because he looked as though, like you said, less than six months ago, he looked as though he was a beaten, broken man. Who was ready for ready for never? You'd never see him again. How close was he of, of saying, "Right, keep it. It's all yours. Get on without me. I'll go and play in the Pakistan Super League because you you're getting a few quid. I'll go and play in the American Super League, MLC cricket. I'll get a few quid. I'll play a few. I'll play in a county game. I'll get a few quid there. And you, know, you think you've got a better without me? Then get on with it because he looked as though he was a broken man. He did, and you know maybe it would have been different if his career stats as a G20 player were better but um, he, he didn't really have that option did he I mean he could have explored a couple of but he was never going to make big money playing T20 franchise cricket um, but anyway even if they even if he had a career strike rate of 140 in T20 cricket he's just not that person or personality he's bigger he's stronger I mean you know he might be 5 foot 4 but in my mind he's 7 foot 4 in terms of his mental stature, absolutely incredible. And, and he, he just wasn't going to turn his back. I mean, he's aware of uh, the importance of the role as a role model that he plays in South African cricket. And um, the strength of his personality is has been inspirational for, for the whole of, of South Africa. And uh, it's, hard I, though. it's hard though, man, it's because my, my days was, was Makaya. When you played against South Africa, we all knew the politics around what South Africa, the things that were going on in South Africa cricket. And Hyantini, for me, when I talk about inspirational figures in cricket during my life, my my cricketing days, I talk about Makaya and Tini because he was somebody who carried half of South Africa. Half of South Africa were 
on Mackay and Tini's shoulders. And it looks as though Temba Mavuma is in not only in exactly the same place, he felt as it looked as though he had the, he had them on his shoulders sometimes when he went out to bat. How important is that role model stature and how much was it possibly weighing on Temba Bavuma's shoulders? It's huge. I mean, it's, it's inescapable as well. Uh, you can't just brush it off. It's massive. Uh, um, and he is entirely aware of it. But he did flick a switch and not to remove that weight of responsibility, but not to allow it to push him down. And it happened before the ODI series against England. You know, he had, there was World Cup qualification at stake. There was um, his his T20 form, his position as captain, and it was all weighing him down. You know what? Rather, and he hadn't played uh, in the SA20. Um, hmm. He was only called up as a late injury replacement. So there was South Africa having this um, um, massive party uh, with the SA20, he wasn't involved. He wasn't invited. He was the national T20 captain still at that time. And then he had to come in cold for the ODI series, having not played for three weeks. He didn't have a net. He didn't play a club game. He did not. He just thought, sod it. I'm just going to go and play now. And they can they can throw me out if they want to. They've given me the responsibility. I'm taking the responsibility. I'm accepting it. And now I'm just going to actually play for me. Uh, when you say half of South Africa on his shoulders, it's more like 80%, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and he did. And he just took that Joss Butler attitude and, and just, um, you know, what he writes on top of his bat handle. And he said, right, I'm taking, the, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be weighed down by it. And it was quite it been incredible to watch. It did look that way. It looked like a man who had the weight of the world on his shoulders. And when you do get into that position, been there a couple of times, not with the amount of pressure that Temba Bavuma have been under. But when you do get that so far up against the wall, there is only one way to go, and it shows a sign of character when you come out of it in a positive way. But some of it just some of it just disappear into the wall. Yep, absolutely. Well, let's just have the final word from Temba Bavuma himself. I think I'm obviously enjoying my cricket um, at this point in time. Yeah, I think my mind is just a lot more a lot more clearer as to what we're trying to do, how we're trying to do that. Um, feeding off the confidence that I'm getting from the players as well as the the new coaches. And I think I'm just trying to carry on from, I guess, the fall from the momentum that I got in the in the England series. And look, I mean, I'm hitting the ball quite nicely at the Maywind. Um, I'm ready to, managing to find gaps, which is obviously a big thing for me as a, as a stroke mayor. And yeah, I think as long as, I don't know, I can only hope that um, everything continues the way that it is. That was Tabo Bavuma, and in fact, the final word will come from you, Harmi. What amazing uh, game between Australia and India. First of all, the first one, um, India were in all sorts of trouble, a 40 for four chasing 180, and uh, KL Rahul got them home. But then in the second one, Australia <laughs> needed 117 to win. Mitchell Starks, 5 for 53, bowled India out for, for 116, and uh, Australia got them in 11 overs. Yeah. Just like two, it's two pitches that were literally. Did somebody move the stumps after after the uh, at the halfway stage? Umpires have walked out and them sort of removed the bales. They removed the bales and the stumps have come with them. And so, oh well, forgetting which one we're playing on, we'll play on this one now. And Australia had a go on it. It was it was unbelievable stuff to watch. You know, Mitchell Stark, when he's like that, he's devastating. 
and it looked as though no matter who came out, what form they were in, Virat Kohli looked as though he was playing on the same wicket that uh, Australia batted on, um, but he was the only one. When you've got someone like Mitchell Stark who can bowl from that angle with pace and have the ball moving laterally, especially in India, is huge. And I wouldn't say India bowled it, but they got to a position where I think some people were actually happier going, going back in rather than going out to the middle, especially the way Mitchell Stark was bowling in. Do you know what my honest assessment of that was? I was over the moon. I really was. I want Mitchell Stark. I want Josh Josh Hazelwood. I want Pat Cummins, Nathan Lyon to come here at their very best because I think this is the most eagerly awaited Ashes series since 2005. I think England are in the best position they've been in for many years to play against Australia. Forget the batting from Australia. I want the bowlers to come and turn up. I want Cummins, Stark, and here's word to turn up. Because if they do, this can be a, this could be an unbelievable series. So my initial thoughts when Stark was getting in wickets was rubbing my hands together thinking, yes, Mitchell, come on. Well, I want, because I think this is what, the contest is going to be Australia's bowlers against England's batters. Because if Australia's bowlers get on top, I think England, Australia win the series. But if Australia's bowlers aren't quite at it, I think England will put them under a huge amount of pressure and Ollie Robinson might get his wish and he might might just give them a good hiding. But I want to see the bowlers turn up. So, you know, I know we're talking about India against Australia and it was great. It was devastating bowling by Mitchell Stark. But I was really, really pleased because I want their bowlers to turn up to England because I think that's what's going to make the contest. England's batting and the way they've transformed the game, the way they're batting against arguably, for me, when they're all firing, the best bowling attack in world cricket, and that's Hazelwood, Cummins, Stark, and Lyon. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Let's just talk before we get to Dani Fanico a little bit about New Zealand against uh, Sri Lanka. I thought it was wonderful, ironic that New Zealand decided to enforce the follow-on at the Basin Reserve even though they had just seen what how it can go wrong a couple of weeks earlier against uh, England. So so they won a game having followed on. They then enforced to follow on. Um, mind you, they did have a lead of about 400. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I mean, everybody loves New Zealand. I think they're most cricket fans' favourite second team if they're not actually a Kiwi or a Black Cap supporter. And they looked a bit off the pace against Mount, against England at Mount Manganui, to be honest. So um, really good to see, to see that uh, you know that they perhaps do have more depth than it looked like. Yeah, and it was good to see some of the players who against England who got a little bit of a start. You know, Henry Nichols was a lot of question mark on on his place. That was a fantastic double hundred that he got. Kane Williamson was Kane Williamson. He just fired in his old normal usual way, and and then you get to the you get to the following on, and you're thinking right. Do I do I not? Do I go? Do I what happened against England? I think the lead was was such a such a massive one that I don't think Tim Southey had any hang up on his mind of what happened against England. Um and they didn't force the follow on comfortably. Also who you're playing. You play Sri Lanka. I think if England England made Sri Lanka follow on in New Zealand, England win that comfortably. I think in, even the other way around, if New Zealand had made England follow on, there might have been obviously more of a, a chance of yeah, a different result, but yeah, fair play. New Zealand put the ball in the right area. They took the catches as well, which were 
were so important. And one or two players who, at the start of the Mount Monganui Test match, thinking against England, these might be my last two Test matches, are now going beyond the Schwanken series in their you know, their foothold back into their places are, are still there. I'm thinking the likes of Henry Nichols, um, even Tim Southey as captain, because we're thinking it was just a short term short term fix to possibly get into, you know, a longer term solution because of the age of Tim Southey coming up to thirty five. It just looks as though Tim Southey's enjoyed himself. Okay, let's um talk about Danny van Niekerk then and Look, uh, just recap very quickly. The former South African captain is just 29 years old. She's one of the greatest players in the South African women's game. In their history, she's uh, the third highest run scorer, um, second highest wicket taker. She's done everything she possibly could for her country. She made her debut for South Africa uh, having just turned 17. She's now just 29 and she's retired. Uh, It's because South Africa introduced some minimum fitness standards including a 2K time trial uh, run, which uh, she missed the mark by 18 seconds. And she's now retired. Uh, You mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we first discussed this that you met her, spent time with her, very impressed uh, with her. And um, we both, I think, agree that uh, it was heavy-handed, to say the very least, by Cricket South Africa. The bigger question, though, is um, the relationship between players and players' unions and their administrators. I keep going back to New Zealand cricket. I think they've got the most collaborative structure where the administrators don't behave like school teachers and headmasters and headmistresses. They work with the players all the time. They work with them and they say, Yes, we are we are your employers, but we you know, they, they treat them as equals and they work on it. So do you know what? If you don't want a national contract, that's absolutely fine. We totally respect that. You need to earn as much money as you can. It does, however, mean we we're not going to select you um, above players who who do have a contract. So very little rubbing up against each other. That cricket South Africa, I think, is at the opposite end of the scale. I think they're still learning that they're not school teachers and headmasters. Yeah, I think it also you look at New Zealand sport, and it, it, you just mentioned about the ego of New Zealand cricket, the ego of New Zealand rugby, the ego of New Zealand sport. And there's not one. It's the most important thing is about Team New Zealand and making sure that it's the right thing for the ethos of the team. Well, the right thing of the ethos of the team on any team, keeping the player happy. And if you make sure that your player is happy, then you've got a great chance of your the harmonization and your group being so much better when it comes to delivering performance. And the minute you start like you mentioned, heavy-handed school teacher is. It's different now. It is different now. Sport's different. The world's different. Can't speak to kids now anywhere near what they had before. And that is, I think, sometimes wrong with some cricket boards around the world. The West Indies, very, very similar. England used to be like that. This We, we invented cricket, so why should you do this with? Well, well, you'll quickly get left behind. Kevin Peterson, again, keep harping back to Kevin and his dears, Kevin Peterson in 2008, had that in his mind about going and playing in the IPL. And I'll never forget, he did say on more than one occasion, either in dressing rooms or around the group, we will get left behind if we don't play the, the, the modern game, which was, you know, we need to get involved in the IPL and everything that goes with it. And it was no, our board, Giles Clark and David Collier and whoever, 
you know, back against it. The world was hard against it. And what happened? We've been left behind on more than one occasion, to be honest, the ECB. Now changing, which is for the positive. Rob Key's doing that. So because of that, I think women of the women's game have lost a fantastic international cricketer. I mentioned I met on the one occasion and spent half an hour, 40 minutes in a sort of hospitality suite with Dana Van Neerkirken at Trent Bridge. She was playing against the Rockets. And I, I went away, I came away from the, the conversation with a very, very impressive, and very, very impressive lady who knew the game inside out, who played the game unbelievably, very, very talented. And it's like, 2K time trial, please. 2020 cricket. Especially when you're one of the senior leaders, you don't have to run that far. You know, when you're bowling, you don't have to run that far. You end up feeling inside the 30-yard circle, so you're not running that far either. Can you do your job properly? Can you run between the wickets? Can you hit sixes and falls under pressure? I think if the answer's positive, I think the 2K time trial simply, for me, if I was a leader of that group, I'd be looking at the person who I think who couldn't do it the fastest and say, right, you go around there, 2K, you do it first, go around there in 2K, and that will be that will be the minimum requirement. That me, because my best player, minimum requirement, and I'll name one um, the best, arguably in the history of the game. I remember in, in a, an ICC trophy event, they were running around football fields in India. I think it was in 2006, and I don't even think Sachin could get around the football field. And was there ever any question, India were going to drop Sachin? No chance whatsoever. Wasn't the fittest, but I told you what he was. When he had people shouting and screaming at him, he was the best that delivered. And I think Donna was exactly the same, was she? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, quite right. Um, and, you know, I suppose it's a it's a good sign that uh, she sees that there are enough options um, in uh, the Big Bash, in the 100, and now the, the WPL for her to make a living without having mm. to put up with um, Cricket South Africa's contract. Um, okay, we're down to that point again um, where we've got two minutes to go and six more stories. Take your pick. Fantastic news for Ireland. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, hosting India for three T20s in August. Three ODIs against Bangladesh will be played in May at Chelmsford. That's uh, the final fixture in um, the, the World Cup Super League. And they're also playing two test matches in Sri Lanka. I think that's fabulous news. Really, really brilliant. Claire Connor. Um, has uh, been given an expanded role at the ECB as Deputy Chief Executive and Managing Director of England Women. So that that's a massive portfolio, actually. Dan Lawrence taking over from Owen Morgan as uh, Captain of London Spirit for 2023. Big shoes to fill, Dan Lawrence. We are a massive shoes to fill, but I think it's great for English cricket that we've got. We keep banging on, manners about the 100, about not having any English coaches, only having James Foster this year. You know, we shoehorned in. We've got rid of our great mate, Gary Kirsten, and we've now got Mike Hussey. You know, we've got another overseas coach. I want English captains. That That's it. If we can't get English coaches, let's get English captains. Yeah, and that will improve Dan Lawrence no end whatsoever. So I'm pleased for him. Fantastic for Ireland. It really is. To have another... Keep saying it. We've said it quite a bit on this, on this show about having competitive cricket in the you know, close proximity to us in just over the Irish Sea, I think is is superb. And the more cricket we get there, I think, the better. If we keep developing Ireland and Ireland keep going the way they do and teams go over to Ireland before they come over to England from a Test Series point of view, I think it always makes that first test, it would always make that first test match more competitive 
rather than the first test match sometimes being a bit of a damn squid that you know, teams aren't quite prepared coming into England because they've played less than second 11 or Northampton's third 11. So that's all with, that will always benefit the cricket in uh, across there. And you know, good luck to Claire Connor. It is a massive, I think that's a huge role because I think the English, the, the women's game is, I think is the women's game's going to go in more fast forward. I think in the last five years, it's gone ridiculously fast forward. And I think where it's going now, potentially in the next five years, could go even even further. So like that's a huge role for it's I think it's a, as big, if not a bigger role than what the sort of the role that Rob Key's in at this minute in time from Claire Connor's point of view. So which is great. And the last one matters, it has to be Asif Sheikh. It really is. The Nepal spirit of cricket, Aldi Balberni. When you have to see the the Associated Nations, what have we had with the Associated Nations? We've had mancads, we've had win at all costs, desperate to get to the World Cup, to get on the big stage. And then the Paul Wigger keeper, seeing that his fast bowlers tripped up, Andy Balburnie, he could have taken the bails off and he just didn't. And he gave them a little punch of the gloves. I thought that was cricket at its very, very best. It was a brilliant moment. So, yeah, fantastic. And Nepal will be playing in the World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe in June, July. They got there ahead of the UAE. It was an incredible success story. I mean, they so they they now, I mean, they're probably going to be up against two out of the West Indies, Sri Lanka or South Africa and Zimbabwe. And so they're probably not going to get to the World Cup, but they've got to the final qualifying competition and uh, that in itself is an incredible achievement so that's the way we will finish for this <laughs> week we're raising a cup of tea to nepal and uh, and the future of um, cricket in the shadow of mount everest <laughs> you've been listening to the cricket collective on chalksport 2 with me neil Manthorpe and former england basketballer steve harmison if you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up you can download the podcast from the following on feed available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week, but for now, this has been The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Music.